Welcome, CBC family. Our sermon today is taken from Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 9. Moses prays, Please go up in the midst of us. This is a story of second chances. At a time in our culture when social distancing is necessary, our passage today has to do with how we can walk closely with a holy God in spite of our failures and sin. Before us is an account of the re-giving of the law. The first had been smashed to the ground in anger as Moses experienced the utter frustration of trying to lead a people who were fickle and unbelieving. When Moses had gone up to receive the commandments from God, the people had grown restless and their unbelief led to the substitution of the invisible God for one of their own creation, a God who had given them over to their lusts. We always become like the God we worship. God was considering the option of starting over, just wiping out this people. But Moses stepped in and pleaded with God to reconsider for the sake of his great name, and reputation for the sake of his covenant agreement with his people. God listened and changed his mind. Imagine that, the power of prayer, of intercession. This is a story of grace, of second chances, of more than second chances. Though the people had seen the power of God unleashed in so many ways against the Egyptians through plagues, Dividing the Red Sea, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, manna from the sky and quail, water from a rock. Still they complained and grumbled. I'd like us to pause now and to read the passage of Scripture, so Exodus 34, 1-9. Our Father God, we pray that you would guide and direct our hearts as we consider how we might walk close with you. In Christ's name, amen. God says to Moses, okay, let's do it again. Like a father teaching his child how to ride a bike and walking along beside, trying to keep him up. And when he falls, picking him up and says, okay, let's go again. You can do this. God is patient with his children. The next scene is Moses walking up the mountain again with the tablets in hand and calling out to God. He must have said something like, I know you're here, God. I cannot see you. Please come to me. I've done what you said. Please, God. We're a sinful people. Forgive us. Show me your glory. I brought the tablets that you commanded, but I can't write on stone. You're going to have to do that, Lord. Well, God showed up. Whenever God shows up, watch out. God always shows up when you pray. He passed by. He spoke. Yes, in a language that Moses could understand. God rewrote those commands with his own finger. 
we're told. Talk about the very words of God. They are not suggestions, not just a standard for maximizing community life, not based on functionality. These were commands that he gave, a reflection of his nature and his will. They were on stone, etched in rock to symbolize the permanence of God's commands. They were not a revision based on what was popular or based on the fact that the people had failed the first time. God wasn't rethinking this thing called the Ten Commandments. No, they were the same. They were His commands passed down from God to us, not based on the collective wisdom of people or by consensus of a culture. They came to us from God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. No graven images. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And do not covet. Some think that the gospel comes along after the commands and abolishes the law. But this is not true. The law, according to Jesus, he is the fulfillment. The apostle Paul tells us that the law is a tutor which leads us to Christ. It points to the standard of God's expectation and also points out our sinfulness bringing us to the end of ourself and setting us up for the good news that God would eventually send his son to be the fulfillment of all these commands and then to offer himself as a substitute on our behalf so that we might enjoy his righteousness as our own. Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. This is a story today of how the Holy One, without compromising His holiness, could walk with the people on their journey through the wilderness and how they might enjoy the fullness of His presence, the richness of knowing Him, and enjoy Him completely in spite of their sinfulness, fickleness, and propensity towards self-centeredness and pride. God can dwell with his people. How does that work? Well, God reveals himself to Moses on the mountain. What we know about God is revealed to us from God. He reveals himself through nature. He reveals himself through special revelation, as in this case. And finally, he reveals himself to us through his Son. Here is a direct communication from God to Moses. He says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So he identifies himself as the Lord, the Lord God. This is the same phrase used when he identified himself 
to Moses back in the Sinai wilderness and the burning bush. I am who I am. Tell the people, I am has sent you. It's a reference to God's ultimate self-sufficiency, his immediate presence, that God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else, nor are his plans dependent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be who he will be. He will be the eternally constant one who stands ever-present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills and to accomplish what he will accomplish. We can't even fathom a God like that. And yet that's our God. As parents, we sometimes give the ultimate answer to our children who keep asking why, why, why. Because I said so. And that's supposed to satisfy their curiosity. It's the ultimate answer of saying, because I'm your dad, because I'm your mother, I'm the ultimate authority in your life. Well, God is truly the ultimate authority. He stands alone outside of time and space and does as he chooses. He is the God who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Everyone from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, God loves us all and each of us has equal value before God. And he keeps his loving kindness. It's constant and faithful. It's unlimited. There's enough to go around. It's not like the child who, when his new brother is on the way, says, Mom, will you still have enough love for me? God loves all of us completely, as if we're the only child, because he is love, who forgives our iniquity, transgression, and sin. How can God abide with us? Because he chooses to forgive us, to cancel our debt, our iniquities, that's posture toward God of wanting to push him away and do our own thing. That transgression which is stepping over the line, climbing over the fence, being where we know we shouldn't be. That sin which is missing the mark of God's holiness, whether conscious or unconsciously. God forgives it all completely because he chooses to. This is part of his nature. All sin, transgression, and iniquity is ultimately against him. And he himself chooses to forgive. Why? Because he loves us. How? Because he sends his son ultimately as a sacrifice to absorb our sin, to take it upon himself, to become sin, and then to dole out the wrath of his own nature upon his son in our place. He does not allow the iniquity to go unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the third and fourth generation. Have you ever wondered about the injustice of life? Those who swindle seem to get away with it. Those who disregard God seem to prosper in spite of it? Understand this clearly. God is the ultimate judge, and he is just. People do not get away with things. 
So, as David says, do not fret because of evildoers, or be envious of for wrongdoers, for they will quickly fade like grass. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, and leave the judgment to God. Well, as God reveals himself to Moses on the mountain this way, what is his response? Moses falls on his face before God. He beholds the glory of God. This is the place here on the mount where the finite, the sinful, the limited, the inadequate, it enters into the presence of the ultimate God of the universe, the eternal omnipotent one. He beholds his glory. He bows in reverence, fear, submission, and joy. It's the ultimate experience to see him, know him, and he worships God in his presence. And then, as a shepherd, he goes to work. Yes, he goes to work on behalf of the flock that's been put in his charge. This one that God wanted to dispose of, and he reasoned with God to save. Now he intervenes and he says, God, please go along in our midst. Pardon our iniquity. Take us as your own possession. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please do these things. Go along in our midst. Well, God had already assured him that he was going to do that. And yet I think that the notion that he might not travel with them is still reeling inside of Moses. And he's asking God, restating this plea that God would not leave them not even just send an angel with them, but his own presence was coveted by Moses. Let us experience your nearness. Let us be ever conscious of your presence and your influence, of your ways and your will. Let us develop and cultivate that friendship with you, God. Moses continues, pardon our iniquity and our sin. Go before us. You know the propensity of our sinful heart. Please, God, release us, pardon us. And that pardon would be ultimately experienced because of the offering of his son. And then take us as your own possession. So identify with us that we are your people, unconditionally received by you, based upon your promises and covenant. Keep us as your own. This is security. And in the context of security, our relationship grows best. Paul tells us that once we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, but now, according to Peter, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's what he's made us who have received his son Christ. Friend, my question to you is, do you walk with God today? Have your sins been forgiven because you've come to Christ and sought forgiveness? Have you placed your trust and confidence in him alone for your entrance into the presence of God? Let's pray. Father, Give us grace to walk in your ways, to know you 
and to experience the fullness of this life you offer. Bring those who don't know you to an understanding of their relationship with Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.